Welcome to New Perceptions Podcast, the official podcast of the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry. The New Perceptions Podcast is for education, information, and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and guests and do not reflect the official policies of the entity. This podcast in the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry does not support or condone the illegal use, distribution, or sale of psychedelic substances. Furthermore, the topics discussed should not be solely used to diagnose, treat, or prevent diseases or conditions. And the reading of or listening to this podcast does not constitute an occupational relationship. The content discussed does not constitute medical advice, and any specific medical questions should be directed toward your personal health care professional. Today on the podcast. What would it look like if we started a protocol for psilocybin specifically aimed towards depression? If you are listening to us on the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry website, it would be easier for you and better for us if you would please consider following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you will be notified when the latest episode airs. I am Dr. Tyler Chervested, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and it is my privilege to welcome you to this author interview edition of the podcast. Dr. Gershom Hernandez obtained his undergraduate degree in biological sciences at the University of Redlands and attended medical school at Ross University. He is currently a PGY-4 psychiatry resident at the University of Kansas Health System in Kansas City, Kansas. He also serves as editor-at-large for the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry, and his article, Psilocybin-Assisted Psychotherapy Protocol, can be found in the latest issue. Gershom, welcome. Hi, Tyler. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah. So for those listeners out there who haven't had a chance to, again, read your article, can you tell us what this protocol is all about? Yeah. So I I started just start from a general interest of looking at um, psychedelics as something that may have the potential to treat depression specifically, especially psilocybin. They're doing some studies at John Hopkins looking into psilocybin and whether it has the, um, the, the potential to stand up to some more rigorous scientific studies. To treat depression. So thinking ahead, I, I kind of kind of started as a thought experiment on what I could I could do looking at protocols that already exist for, um, for example, MDMA uh, assisted psychotherapy, um, which is on the uh, MAPS website, the Multidisciplinary Association for the, uh, Psychedelic Studies. They have great protocols that are very lengthy, very detailed. I just wanted to start out and kind of, you know, explore this thought experiment. What would it look like if we started? A protocol for psilocybin specifically aimed towards depression. We know suicide is the 10th leading cause of death overall, right? Second leading cause in people that are young, so ages 10 to 34, and the fourth leading cause of death in those ages 35 to 54. So we've got, you know, broad range of ages, and we have, you know, current treatment and access to care, of course, is always a barrier, but looking at something that may be a potentially new medication that we could add is, is something that was kind of exciting to me. And and we're not there yet, but uh, I wanted to start, you know, kind of going through the protocol and just what would that look like if we had someone act as a therapist to, you know, start doing some therapy and then introducing this agent that's a powerful psychotropic and, and what that would look like. Yeah. You mentioned MAPS and the MDMA trials that they've done. Did you have any other inspirations or references when you were developing this protocol? There were um, some studies in in the 1950s. They did a study concerning LSD and the LSD-assisted psychotherapy. They did a whole protocol on what that would look like specifically geared towards LSD that I also looked at. Um, There's not a whole lot of this type of protocol uh, out there. So really the, the MAPS uh, protocol for MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and this LSD study uh, that was done in the 50s, which is very detailed and kind of went more a little looser. Um, I, I kind of looked at both of those and kind of read up on different studies of psilocybin, how it acts in the body, what potential it may have for depression, uh, and then you know what what people's uh, subjective experiences were as far as like 
mystical type experiences. And for example, there's a lot of studies that use a lot of those questionnaires to determine what their experience was and what made that uh, that relevant to them um, after the uh, after the agent was introduced. So and whether that made a difference in their depression. Yeah, that's a good background on the study. Can we kind of briefly walk through the protocol? Yeah, absolutely. So I started really with looking through you know, how we would start the manual, right, and establish kind of an essential framework. So I wanted our investigators, right, so I, I, I listed investigators in the study because this is potentially to be used uh, as a framework for a clinical trial. So uh, I think there's a lot that, you know, may be needed to be added to this, um, but I think it was a good place to start. I would like to get, uh, you know, like a therapist, uh, someone who has more experience in CBT, maybe get a little more detailed. The MAPS protocol is very detailed and really gives therapists um, very almost, you know, verbatim language to use and very detailed. Um, and I felt that I didn't know enough um, about psilocybin and about being a therapist to really add that in. But I did start with just kind of, you know, like I said, an essential framework. So really, we want to be safe about it. So safety and well-being are primary. We want to create an appropriate set and setting. So this is a comfortable environment. We would get patients in who would pick their own music. I did mention inner healing intelligence also, um, which we can talk about a little bit later in depth, and then mindfulness and CBT. Um, so the framework of really the therapy behind this is going to be what's evidence-based, right? Mindfulness, CBT, have the therapist really practice em being empathetic during these sessions and then listening, which obviously all, all therapists are trained to do, supportive guidance, and then a self-healing model, which kind of goes with the inner healing intelligence, um, inner healing is this idea, and they use this a lot in the, in the MAPS protocol as well, where they talk about the knowledge and power within oneself to move towards wholeness and well-being. So this is kind of putting, you know, as, as we know, you know, mental health isn't, there's no really one, one fix-all or solution to a mental health problem. Sometimes people can get better with medication. Sometimes it takes a lot of hard work through therapy, working through a lot of difficult emotions. Uh, and I think especially with something like this, introducing a powerful psychotropic into a regular therapy session, we really have to be kind of cognizant and explaining to our patients what, what that means and how we, we use this. Because, you know, obviously the concern in general is like, we're not, we're not just giving these medicines to get people high, we want people to get better. Uh, and how they get better is going to be kind of the self-healing model and using that inner healing that they have the ability to change their thought process um, to get out of negative patterns. There was a good analogy that I had, I had read about. It's kind of like kind of like skiing. Um, you know, if you keep skiing down the same path for so long, you know, you end up uh, you just end up being a bobsledder, really, and you're just going down the same path constantly. Um, and looking at getting our patients to change through therapy would be doing something like, you know, getting back to skiing, getting off to a different path, um, one that's hopefully more positive uh, and more healthy. Right. So prior to each session, we, you know, we would have a PHQ-9 administered so that we're assessing for depression. Um, Follow-up will take place one, three, and six months post-psychedelic session. Um, I kind of came up with a couple sessions and kind of wrote down what would happen with each session. I don't want to get too far into detail with, with each individual session, but essentially you slowly introduce the idea and you'd really support all of the skills that were needed before and the number of sessions may vary. You may be able to get away with less or more, depending on the patient. But I gave it a good, you know, good 10, 10 sessions prior to having the psychedelic assisted session. 
And then the psychedelic assisted session, obviously, you take the set and setting into account. Um, you're contributing meaningfully to the experience. You know, if you may have negative emotions, positive emotions, we make sure the therapist is there to support that. Um, and then I went into detail about the environmental setting as well. You know, it has to be private, no interruptions, access to a bathroom, minimal stimuli, got to be a comfortable couch. Um, and this comes into the set and setting portion of it. Um, set, of course, is the mindset going through into it, which is why I think the previous sessions uh, without any psychedelic are very important because it kind of sets the framework, especially for people who aren't used to therapy or used to working on it. The setting is the environment itself, um, being calm, being comfortable, like I said, access to facilities, as well as uh, having a therapist there who, you know, who you trust and who is comfortable with. Yeah. And then could we talk just uh, briefly about your post-dose sessions? and the writing prompts? Yeah, so self-authoring was something that uh, I did myself, actually, because I, I just felt it was very helpful to get a good picture of what, you know, is important and what are the big events in your past, and then what's important in the present, how the past kind of shaped that, and then to look at what I wanted for the future. Um, a, lot, a lot of people find that very helpful. Um, it's actually a big, um, Jordan Peterson is someone who, who talks a lot about this as well. Um, self-authoring can really help to look at your past, what are the important events, what things are you struggling with maybe in your past, or what things have maybe unresolved, um, and then looking at your present and how that affects you. And writing is a really powerful tool to help kind of tease some things out that maybe you were unaware of, or things that maybe you'd like to work on. And I thought that was kind of an important thing to set in here, because it's something that I think is very clear, it's very measurable, um, it can be included. Um, it's not a like a validated protocol, but I think it'd be something that can be very helpful for the patient uh, subjectively. From a psychedelic protocol standpoint, I noticed you didn't touch on psychotherapy, and you you alluded to this earlier that you didn't quite have the level of detail necessary to comment on that. But just out of curiosity, how many psychedelic therapists do you think um, you would want in your sessions for the dosing itself? Yeah, I, I envisioned it just a simple session and and maybe this is something that you know could change once we get more information about this this drug and and more studies are done but i, I envision it just a single therapist uh with this a single patient kind of a one-on-one -on -one session and i thought this was important because introducing more than one sets up a group setting and it, it, it may divide trust it's difficult to establish rapport with two people uh it's hard to establish rapport with one person in 10 sessions uh, sometimes. So I thought having one person that you could develop a level of trust with that would be would be most helpful. Now, um, a lot of people, I don't know if you've seen the um, the Goop episode about this uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow's um, not-so-scientific <laughs> view on this, um, but they had several therapists, and they were all very, very hands-on and very touching. And th there is some argument and some discussion about whether or not touch is important in something like this or in any therapy. Obviously, touch can also be something that people are very sensitive to and to be very cautious. So it's, it's kind of controversial. Um, I think having multiple people and I think having that aspect to it would confound any sort of reliable study, especially in a clinical trial. Um, so I don't know if I agree with having therapists be kind of hands-on as they were in the Goop episode. Uh, but I, I, and I do think that just one is the most appropriate one. Um, but of course, yeah, this may change. Yeah, I, I tend to 
lean your way in in these studies. The argument that I've heard most commonly on the other side for multiple therapists is that it reduces the likelihood of a therapist taking advantage of a patient in a psychedelic state. So I think in some of the trials at NYU, they used actually a male and a female therapist in the room, and this was thought to cut down on any of the uh, improper you know, boundary crossings or violations that might have happened in those settings, given how you know, compromised the patient is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, if we were actually implementing this protocol through, we'd have to take that into consideration too, and, and what the, you know, the patient would be comfortable with. Just out of curiosity, what kind of challenges do you think can occur when implementing your specific protocol, or what challenges do you foresee as far as your protocol is concerned? Really, I think the biggest challenge would be that, you know, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I don't have formal, we do get some formal training um, for about a year in, in psychotherapy, and we do get supervised. So I know a lot about CBT, I know a lot about mindfulness, but uh, digging deeper into more specific modalities, you know, tra- trauma-based and uh, DBT, I'm not as familiar with. Um, and I think having some someone who's more experienced to maybe take a look at this and maybe, you know, adding a little more dialogue in there, maybe something that would be appropriate to say, um, or, you know, going through a more structured, rigorous, you know, what's the, what does the psychotherapy portion of it actually look like? Um, I kind of took the viewpoint from, you know, what would this look like for me as a psychiatrist coming in and doing a clinical trial? Any other comments, thoughts on your protocol, take-home points for the listeners? I just think it's a good uh, kind of thought experiment that I followed through and wanted to see what what the uh, kind of foundation would look like for something like this. I think, you know, getting some more specialized look into it and maybe, you know, some more advancement in the actual detailed CBT or or what type of therapy we would use as a modality would be very helpful. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast again, Gershom. I'd also like to thank your son, the special guest star of the episode. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. <laughs> see you, Tyler. I hope you've enjoyed today's interview. If you would like to submit an article for potential publication in the journal or you have further questions, please visit our website, journalofpsychedelicpsychiatry.org, or send us an email at journalofpsychedelicpsychiatry at gmail.com. To stay up to date on all the latest information regarding the journal, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening to New Perceptions.